I'm E.J. Ionelli, and this is From the Studio. And this morning, our guests in the KPBX studio are here on behalf of a new staged reading of the play The Revolutionists. And this is produced by Gonzaga University Theater, and it opens tomorrow for a very short run. So with me are Leslie Stimulus. Hi, E.J. Good morning, Leslie. And Leslie is the theater program director at Gonzaga, and she is directing this production. We also have Yenny Barakat. Hello. Hi, Yenny. Good morning. Good morning. And Yenny is a freshman, and she hails from Seattle, and she is playing Marianne Angel in this production. We also have Mia Torres. Hello. Good morning, Mia. And Mia is a senior English and theater double major with a minor in Italian studies. She's from Spokane, and she is playing Olympe de Gouges in this play. So welcome, everybody. And Leslie, I figured we'd start off by talking about this play for listeners who might be unfamiliar with it. It has seen a little bit of a resurgence in a number of productions recently. It has been very popular. This play was originally commissioned in 2016 by Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park, and um, it's been produced quite a bit. I like to say, though, that just because it's been produced a lot doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. (laughs) It means that there's a reason so many people are doing it. Um, And while some people think that it feels like it's in response to recent political events, I think um, the fact that it was first premiered in February 2016 um, shows us that actually these are themes that we are always interested in exploring. What it means to rethink your governmental system, as they did in the French Revolution, as we did in the American Revolution, um, and as is happening in various ways all over the world all the time, in fact. So it always feels relevant because it takes the specific moment of history invites us to look at it closely and examine the questions those people are asking. And that almost always has universal application. Yeah, And so we've got kind of a conceptual flavor of this, but what's happening on the ground? There are four women in this. What do we what do we find them doing and what are they in the midst of? So this is a wonderful conceit because we have four women, three of whom are real historical figures. And the fourth is based on real historical figures. And so would you like me to introduce the characters? Yeah, by all means. All right. We have Olympe de Gouges, who was a French playwright, feminist, activist, a fascinating historical figure who had in some ways fallen out of um, the collective memory of the French people and has seen a resurgence in recent years. In America, we actually credit this play for uh, for us understanding who this person is again. Um, in France, they recently uh, erected a bust. There is a museum about her, so people are starting to discover her again. Then we have Charlotte Corday, who famously assassinated Jean-Paul Marat in his bathtub. Um, some say that that a painting that appeared of Marat over his bathtub was the first political art. I say art has always been political, but um, Charlotte Corday is a fascinating figure, a young woman from the countryside, got herself to the city of Paris and decided the only way to correct what was happening in the revolution was to kill Marat, and she did, and she was guillotined for it. She was 25 years old. Our next figure is Marie Antoinette, who needs no introduction. We get to spend time with her in this play, get some feel of her psyche as Lauren Gunderson sees it. Um, And of course, she's also guillotined, and so was Olympe, actually. And our fourth figure, who's based on historical characters, is Marianne Angel. She is a Haitian rebel and a spy for the Haitian Revolution coming to France. And she is based on the dozens, hundreds, thousands of free black men and women of Saint-Domingue, who were fighting for uh, freedom from the French in Haiti in the 1790s. It's known as the only successful slave revolt in the Americas. 
Yeah, and I'd like to do a scene, but before we do, you know, you mentioned that Marie Antoinette needs no introduction. <laughs> and I think we have a very caricatured, popular conception of her. So maybe she does need a little bit of an introduction That's because fair. we just associate her with the phrase, let them eat cake, yes. um, which is, you know, a historical inaccuracy. Mm-hmm. But um, how does she appear in this production? What is Lauren Gunderson's portrayal of her in, in this production? That's a great question for how does she appear, because she appears with absolutely no convention or reason given, which is part of the style of the play. In some ways, we feel that we're in a realistic place, which is Olamp's study. And in other ways, it makes no sense that these people would just stumble into her world and start talking to her. So it's a theater lover's play. There are lots of theater jokes. um, And it goes back and forth between the idea of a real place and a real setting, and we're in the room with them, and a meta world um, to examine who these people are. So Marie is portrayed as... um, There are really great stage directions, actually, that she is oddly prescient, um, unexpectedly profound, totally unaware, never had a real friend. Um, (laughs) This wonderful depiction of her as smart in ways you don't expect, oblivious in ways that you do, um, but ultimately someone who has a very big heart and actually cares very deeply. And the most unexpected friendship in the play is between Marianne and Marie Antoinette, and it comes from a a real... um, a real place of connection. Oh, interesting. And I'd, I'd like to hear from these characters in their own voices. So, Yenny and Mia, you have a scene now uh, between your two characters. And, Leslie, I didn't know if you wanted to provide some setup for this so we know what we're getting into. Yes, this is the very top of the play. So we enter Olamp's world through actually a really wonderful um, sound and light cue, which we'll talk about later when we talk about the format of this production. So we won't hear or see that uh, right now. We will just begin with Olamp. And Marianne uh, surprises her and shows up in uh, a page or two. Well, that's not a way to start a comedy. With an execution, that's just basic dramatic writing. Don't start with beheadings. Audiences don't want plays about terror and death. No, they want hope. Yes, I have to write about grace and power in the face of crisis. Artistic defiance. Yes, that's good. There we go. Okay, what if I write a play that is the voice of this revolution, but not the hyperbolic, angry, yelling kind? I will write the wise and witty kind that satirizes and inspires and says to the held breath of a rapt audience something profound. So, yeah, we're gonna have to cut the guillotine. Cut that thing. Serves it right. Oh my god, Marianne! I know this is crazy to just show up like this, but hello and surprise. Hello and surprise! Oh my god, for a second I thought you were the National Guard. Are they coming for the writers already? Only the important ones. I should be fine. Come in, come in. What are you doing here? Many things, including, I hope, staying with you. Is that okay? Of course. Oh my god. Stay as long as you need. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Oh, don't thank me. I'm so glad to see you. I thought you went back to the Caribbean. Vincent went back. I stayed in Nice. Ooh, Nice is nice. For Um, For me, a lot less speech and a lot more political reconnaissance. What does that mean? Gathering intelligence to send home. That's why I'm back. Things are heating up and we need an eye in Paris and I'm it. So wait, I've been restarting the same play for a month while you became a damn spy? I mean... Girl, look at you! Well, we decided we needed our own intel. Really tap into the political machines or we'll never figure out how to break them. You are my spy friend! God, you make me so much more interesting. (laughs) Well, don't get comfortable. I'm also here because I need you. Oh, playwrights love hearing that. It's so rare. I need you to write for us. Pamphlets, articles, treatises about slavery. Monologues? Abolition human interest stories. But as monologues? Just, sure. 
Help us. You're the best writer I know. How many do you know? <laughs> so many. And you can help people understand what we're fighting for. Freedom, justice, humanity, come on. Of course I'll help. But why don't you write this? Because I'm a better spy than I am a writer. Please. Yes, I'll write anything you want. As soon as I write my play. <laughs> the play you can't even start. I'm rebelling against slavery and you're battling writer's block. I'm not blocked. I'm just mentally... Hibernating. There's a lot of pressure to write something profound these days. And then I keep thinking if I come up with a good title, it'll get me started. Something tantalizing, but really vague, like the revolutionists. You could do better. I know. Nothing is working. There is drama everywhere you look these days. Why can't I write any of it? You can. Pamphlets. For me. Write the truth that needs writing. But that's your truth. Which I will totally write. I will. But I also really need something of my own. I need a play that's good and important and annoyingly prescient. Then write the truth of an artist staring down a civil war. And end up with a play about a playwright writing a play? I'd rather watch a guillotine. So would everyone. Would they? Damn it. Back to guillotines. And scene. Uh, and Mia, I, well, I think within that entire scene, there was a, a certain meta quality because we have a, a what is it, a play about writing a play? <laughs> Certainly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so your character, Alam Tagouche, is this the revolutionists that we are watching? Is this the play that she is writing? In a way, she's also, she writes a few different things and she's kind of coming up with the concept of what is her play, what is the thing that she's going to do to contribute to this revolution. Um, and she tries a few different things and there is a play that she does write, which, uh, spoiler alert, is her downfall. <laughs> but she, yeah, I mean, this play talks a lot about like, oh, plays and there's like jabs at Les Mis <laughs> and stuff like that. But it's the play that she's currently writing isn't Gunderson's play. I see. And there were some exchanges there with Yenny in her character of Marianne Angel about, you know, she was saying that she's a better spy than she is a playwright. So does your character maybe embody some of this, this perennial question of the power of art to affect change? Is that kind of your role in the play? Yeah, that's kind of the thesis of the play, I would say, is that there there's a big argument about like what matters is it is it your work is it your words is it you know actually being out there and fighting and being a charlotte who kills a journalist or is it you know the art that you make what is it that matters is it your work is it your life so that's one of the big questions that the play poses and what are the the qualities of your character how are you uh, approaching her in this i mean she sounds very engaged um, very active. Yeah, so what are the qualities that you're attempting to bring uh, to this character, which is in a staged reading? So we'll talk about some of the particulars of that. Well, she's a lot of myself, really. <laughs> We're very similar. Um, she's a playwright. I'm a playwright. Um, but she's very, she's excitable. What She's a theater nerd. Uh, I think the description is pretty, pretty spot on. Badass, activist, playwright, and feminist, theater nerd, excitable, passionate, a showman, widowed and never remarried to ensure her freedom. She's just got a lot of energy. She's the person our um, our dramaturg calls her, uh, someone who, that friend you love to hang out with, but you don't want to, you know, spend a ton of time with. She's, <laughs> she's a little exhausting. A little intense. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, and Yenny, your character, Marianne Angel, uh, tell us about her and... I think before we do, I'd like to talk about how you step into this scene because you just magically appear. <laughs> um, so we see some of the the historical departures uh, that, and the creative license that uh, that Lauren Gunderson may have in, used 
to to write this. So yeah, your appearance in this play just kind of comes out of nowhere. And then yeah, tell us a little bit about Mariana Gell as well. So the coming out of nowhere is really just the fact of the stage directions not being there. She is like introduced with, oh, she's coming in with the bag of luggage. She doesn't just like magically appear with like some fairy godmother. I don't know like how to describe it. But Marianne Angel's character is very, I'd say not restricting, but rather she's similar to me in some ways, but also not similar. So it's a little harder to like hit a lot of the emotional points for her. Like there's some moments where I can't hit it right, but also like it's a very interesting experience to have, especially knowing what her character kind of represents during the French Revolution. And upon like when I first had researched her just to kind of get a good idea of what I should be like, like projecting for the audience, it was a lot of, she was a lot, like her description is like she's one of the sanest one of all the characters there. So she, there's different personas that she takes upon with each character. So there's a different way of like applying that to myself. Like with Alump, she's like, Sometimes she'll have like a girlfriend persona, but sometimes she'll also have like a like I'm putting my foot down, like I'm the friend that needs to tell you to like you need to like take it down a notch. But like with Mary Antoinette, she's like sometimes she'll have like a motherly figure, if not like a friend figure. Like they start to get a little closer halfway through, but I don't want to drop any spoilers. But what I like about it is that in her moments, she reminds me a lot of myself in the sense that as an older sister of two younger siblings. Love you guys. Um, <laughs> they they tend to bring out the best in me, but also the worst in me. And I see that quite often during her character, like throughout the whole play. And is your character more broadly symbolic of something? So we were talking to Mia about how Olamp, you know, embodies this perennial question of the efficacy of art, in, particularly in tumultuous times. Is your character more broadly symbolic of anything? I think really she represents like, the reality that Olamp refuses to like face like she has she hasn't had the luxury of being able to sit in the office and write the plays but rather she's had to go out and see multiple of probably loved ones like like bound and like trapped in places where she cannot help and she tries to find some way to do that and obviously Olamp and her cannot see eye to eye on that quite often but I think that's what she represents she represents mainly just freedom she represents like the reality of like the harsh truths of the world and she really wants to kind of expose that especially with like the pamphlets mentioned earlier she wants the world to know of like the issues that we're refusing to face and uh, you know I had mentioned that this is a staged reading and so that presents certain challenges to you because you're not able to get up and, and sort of physically embody as much as you might um, if this were a, a full production. Um, Leslie, why did you choose to go with the stage reading format? What challenges does that present and what opportunities does that present? Yeah, the staged reading that we now do annually in Gonzaga Theater in this uh, winter slot is a pedagogical choice um, and it's also a logistical one. Our, our our program is small but mighty, um, and mounting uh, more than two large productions with our shops is challenging. But we wanted to have that additional acting opportunity for students. So a staged reading allows us to have a little bit less um, strain on our production shops, but still have a show that we can you know, have the full uh, rehearsal experience with the students. So that's the logistical side. Um, the pedagogical side is that when you are working on any script, your focus should be on the text. And it is. It always is. But then, of course, you have to add. There are a lot of other focuses that come into play. This, though, is a process that we take about three or four weeks. And all we're doing is working the text. 
we are building entire characters, we're building entire worlds, but we are not adding that other element of now you need to get up and move. Now, the best texts make you want to get up and move. And so you do reach a moment where you feel like, I, I need to get away from my script, I need to do this or that. But it's still its own structure and its own format um, that allows the audience to just sit and listen. We have this convention, you know, uh, the actors will pick up a couple of props and use them. They'll hand things back and forth. There's some hugs. Um, but for the most part, we're saying the play on its own is enough. And this is coming from a costume designer, right? I, I love the visuals. But the play on its own, the text should stand alone. And so and at the end of it, we're really just all in a room together agreeing to sit and listen to the play. And Yenny and Mia, what sort of challenges does this present to you as actors, given that you are not able to physically embody these characters? How do you find yourselves as actors compensating for that and evoking the personality of these characters without actually being able to get up and walk around? I think we're very lucky in this stage reading is that we do get to do a little bit of movement and mm -hmm. we're standing the whole time. So you get to still embody them in the way you stand and the way you move, the way you gesture with your arms. Um, so that's helpful. And we have a little bit of props and we have some stuff and, and we do a lot of like making eye contact with the other actors. So what the challenge is, is oh, I've looked away and now I have to look back at my script because I'm not fully <laughs> off book. So I'd say that's the biggest challenge. But in general, I'd say it's just a really fun experience to spend so much time with the text. I think personally, considering that this is my first stage reading, I think it doesn't, it gives me like the chance to kind of like feel it for myself. So it's not more that I've had experience and now it's kind of like clashing with this one. It's more like this is a new one and I can embrace it. And I think it's a, yeah, again, there's still a lot of movement for the most part that it's like just enough to like get by with the text. So I think personally, it's still a lot of fun to do. And just because it is a stage reading, that doesn't mean it's ultra minimalist because you do have lighting. You have Addie Nelson as your lighting designer and you have Luke Machenbacher as your sound designer. So these are two students who are still adding these uh, these enhancements to the production. Yes, and that's another pedagogical element to it, um, to have a shorter rehearsal process and a little bit... I guess the, the expectations of the audience are less. We are advertising it as, you know, it's a staged reading. There are some production values. It gives us a chance to invite students to try it out in a, a lower stakes environment, perhaps, than a fully staged show. So we're really happy to have students take on particularly lights and sound for a staged reading like this. And even in that scene, there we you know there were some wry observations about the the historical departures, and certainly the language isn't uh, isn't true to form. Um, but you have uh, enlisted the help of a dramaturg on this in the form of Dr. Laurie Arnold. Can you talk about her role and what she's bringing to the production, and why you sought to enlist her help? Yes. So I will try not to talk too much about <laughs> Dr. Arnold. Laurie is a wonderful colleague. She's a professor of history and the director of the Native Studies program, and as an active scholar and historian. One of her areas of interest is how historical plays tell stories. So she looks at that particularly with Native playwrights, and she looks at it with just plays that are wonderful plays that tell about women's history. So this is a play that Laurie has been a 
big fan of for a long time. She actually has a publication coming out soon about the play. Um, she has traveled to France. She has done research. She has been to the Olympe de Gouges Museum. And so it was probably two years ago that I learned this, that Lori loved this play, and I loved the play too. And I said to her at the time, I really want to produce this show, but it's such a small cast. If we did it as a main stage, it wouldn't be quite enough acting opportunities for our students. And I said, and it would be so lush and beautiful in the costumes. I don't think I want to do it as a staged reading. And then one day I just said, no, we just have to do this play. <laughs> we'll forego the costumes and we will do this play. And so I asked Lori if she would join us as dramaturg. So having a professional historian, a scholar work on this play with us has been such a joy. She's been in almost all of the rehearsals with us. She provided us with a great deal of scholarly work ahead of time for us to read about these characters. And as a historian, she just has wonderful insight into who these people are and also how the play is structured and how it serves to build a narrative of history through individual stories, which is something I'm really fascinated with. And can you give me a for instance of some of her input that maybe changed your perspective on some of these characters or changed the way you went about things? You know, did she, yeah, did she offer any specific feedback that made you say, ah, we're going to put this character in a slightly different light? Well, I think she's just had really good insight on all of the characters all around. Um, in addition to being a scholar, a historian, um, Lori is also a theater enthusiast. She has seen lots and lots of wonderful theater all over the country and she and around the world. And so she also brings a wonderful audience perspective to our rehearsal process. Um, in particular, Olamp is someone she knows very, very well. And so she has been able to share a lot about Olamp's, uh, you know, what we can glean from her personality. Things like in in real life, in a historical moment, Olamp made an appointment to go see Marie Antoinette to try to convince her that a constitutional monarchy was the way to go. She just had unending confidence in her ideas. And so learning about those sorts of things has been really insightful and fun to discuss. And this is a, a fairly, this is a play of ideas as well. It's a fairly ideologically charged play. And, you know, you certainly don't want to guide audience members towards one conclusion or another. But if there was a, a kind of a general takeaway, you know, when folks walk away from this, what would that be? Oh, goodness. Such a big question. I've been thinking about this for writing the director's note for the program. You know, you work on a play for so long. Um, when it's one like this that is very near to your heart, it can be hard to try to say concisely what you want. But I think I've got it. I think a lot of times when we think about history as a broad, monolithic idea, we assume that there is one narrative that is meant to be learned, and then you've learned that history. We have learned in recent decades, actually, that's not so. There are multiple narratives, and the narrative of the victors is not always the best or most correct or most complete picture. But I think even beyond that, and this is asking a lot of us as people, but I think beyond that, history is really built of a million tiny stories. Marianne has this wonderful line where she says, most people don't have time for the grand dramas. It's the intimate ones that matter. And while we don't have time in our lives to learn the exact intimate story of every single individual who has ever lived, <laughs> if there is a historical moment we want to learn about, I think the best way to do it is through a compilation of multiple intimate stories of individuals. And that's why I love this play, because it's a play about the French Revolution, but not in the way that you would learn the whole history and trajectory of battles and the war. It's a play about the French Revolution because it's about individuals who experienced it. 
And so inviting us to take some time out of our day to sit with these these women, these stories for an hour and a half and just examine them is giving respect to the individual voice. And that's actually part of Gonzaga's mission, as it happens, the dignity of the human person. So this idea of saying, I'm going to take time away from my day. I'm going to listen to you and you and you and you. And then I'm going to come away with a different picture of history. Well, Leslie, Yenny, and Mia, I want to thank you so much for coming out this morning and talking about the revolutionists and also performing the scene from it. Thank you, EJ. Thank you. I've been speaking this morning with Leslie Stimoulis, Yenny Barraket, and Mia Torres of Gonzaga University's new staged reading of The Revolutionists. The Revolutionists runs Thursday, February 29th, it's tomorrow, and Friday, March 1st at Gonzaga University's Magnuson Theater. And you can get tickets at bit.ly forward slash ticket center theater, or you can visit gonzaga.edu forward slash theater and dance, or you can make it really easy and just call the box office on 509 313 2787.